coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. Yeah, it really depends, uh, Matt, on whether or not they require variance or approval to get full entitlement. So you got to realize probably 80% of the stuff we're purchasing is completely off market. And mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff isn't even approved for self-storage. It's kind of like our secret sauce is that we're, we're not afraid to take something down that requires uh, rezoning or approval mm -hmm. or self-storage because that a lot of times that's the stuff where we increase value big time because we're, yeah. we're moving into a market or an area or a zone that's not already self-storage. And that's what's actually creating the the ability for us to make a, a, a better valuable piece because it's in a downtown area or it's somewhere that's different than where self-storage typically would go. That being said, uh, you know, if it's one of those types of places, uh, you know, we're doing one in Florida right now, which we put on a contract, I think in probably October or September. And uh, we just got word uh, this morning that uh, the hearing is going to be in April, for example. So oh, wow. you're probably talking nine months from yeah. concept to uh, closing. But if it's an approved site, it could be as it could be as quick as 90 days to 120 days from concept to closing. Mm -hmm. So it really varies. Generally, once we close a site, I always tell investors if it's a piece of raw land, you know, expect four to six months from closing to actually putting a shovel in the ground. Because, you know, even with approval and the fact that we have an entitled piece of ground and it's ready to go, you know, we're still getting, you know, we're we're, we're at like 90 to 95 percent design at that point. That means that we. we you know, we're 95% sure what we're going to build, but we might move a wall. We might retweak yeah. the interior design. Then you have to get the mechanical guys to decide where the ductwork is going to go and all this kind of like little jazz inside. Yeah. And quite frankly, it's it's pretty boring for that next four months. You know, the, the design guys are playing around with where the stuff's going to go and everything. So, so you take the deal down, you have the land. Now you have all those approvals. Now you're submitting all the drawings to the township. Keep in mind at that point it's approved you're building a mm -hmm. self-storage but now you have to get the township to like sign off on everything and yeah check yeah. back and the engineer gives the back and forth and so there's all this stuff that happens after closing and it can't happen until after closing yeah and that generally takes four or five months before we can even get then you have to get all that approved so that you can go to bid and get the general mm -hmm. contractor to give you the bid back and forth. so all that paperwork and stuff generally takes between four and five months but you know, then we have shovels in the ground and we're rocking Welcome to the show, I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Up next on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Joe Vijanlisti, who is the owner of Legacy Builder Coaching. If you've ever thought of being involved in self-storage units or investing in self-storage units, this is going to be an episode that's going to be for you. So Joe has a very, very successful program that he has built, and he has a, a background in construction as well, but he has built many, many storage units across the country in many different MSAs, and he also has taken that and turn that into a coaching program as well. So if you're looking to be on the owner-operator side, 
Joe has a program that basically teaches you their process. And what's really unique about this is he allows his, his own team to interact with his coaching students. So you're getting to interact with people who are actually out there and, and doing this work on any given day. You know, these are the people that are actually raising money from investors. These are the people that are selecting sites and working with cities and zoning departments and actually building the the sites. So so his group really goes into a lot of detail into taking away all of the unknown in that entire process. Obviously Joe also caters to people who are looking to invest in in self-storage units. So no matter where you are in that spectrum, if you want to be an owner-operator, if you want to simply be an investor, uh, this episode is going to be one that you're going to want to connect with and listen to uh, and reach out to Joe. Uh, he's he's definitely interested in, in talking to you and uh, showing you what he has learned over the years. And with that, I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. I'm Italian, so dinner table was like seriously important for us growing up as a kid. My yeah. um, dinner table for me was uh, my grandmother was kind of like my uh, almost like my surrogate mother. Not that I didn't have an amazing mother, I, I did, but my parents were divorced when I was really really young. So I was at my mom's house during the week, my dad's house during the weekend, and, and for me, my big dinner table was Sunday gravy. It was Sunday afternoon. Um, nice. My grandmother would always cook and spend all day in the kitchen and then we would spend uh, what felt like six hours eating dinner and it would be like um, you know my my uh, fairly extended family around uh, around a Sunday afternoon uh, and uh, you know those are probably my favorite memories of uh, of my family as a kid growing up and that's actually something that uh, I, I kind of try to emulate to this day is you know keeping my family close and having dinner and dinners are really really important to my family so that's yeah. kind of my one of my favorite questions ever asked on a podcast. <laughs> Let's see. There you go. It's starting up strong. It's starting up strong. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. What, so, so what's, uh, what was, what's like a, a standout dish, something you remember your grandmother making like, Oh, yeah. I, can't, I can't wait to have that. Anything stand out to you? Yeah. Again, she's, uh, she's, she was right off the boat from Sicily and uh, so was my grandfather that side. So it was really just, it was Sunday gravy. She would make homemade pasta. She would make brajol. She'd make meatballs, uh, you know, Italian sausage. And so mm-hmm. I, I really do a very, very similar dish now, nowadays, especially in the winter, you know, New Jersey, it's freezing cold. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't do it generally in the summer very often, but uh, as soon as the fall comes around all the way to April or May, I'll do that same thing. And we do it at least probably once a month. So I love it. That, that's my dish. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, so, you know, strong family values, any entrepreneurial experience or exposure when you were a kid at all, or did that kind of strike you a little bit later on in life after you'd gone through a few things? Yeah, very little. I mean, my dad was the, um, the first entrepreneur in my family and, um, I was growing up, he had a, uh, he kind of, very similar to me. He, he went to like, uh, I believe it was like one semester or one year of, 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 of a community college. And yep. was like, you know, that's, that's enough for me. And he went out yeah. and started a drywall company. And so uh, all the way up until like my teenage years, he, he was a drywall guy and he had a drywall company. And then he started like branching off and doing general contracting and building houses and stuff like that. And so I, I looked up at him and I said to myself, like, I, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I took a little bit of a, a, a different direction. I went in the military first, but like, I always knew like somehow, some way I would 
going to end up in construction. I was going to end up, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. And so he was really the only person that I knew growing up as a, that was in business that had their own business. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was my, 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 my idol. Yeah. Kind of person yeah. I wanted to emulate when I got out, out of the military and started my own thing. Very cool. Very cool. So, so you went off to the military. What did you have any kind of a focus or anything? Did they, did they stick you in any type of like specific, you know, specific area or, or focus? They tried. So I <laughs> kind of an interesting story. I don't know how, how, how detailed I get on a podcast actually, but so they, so put it to you this way. My, I was working for my dad at the time. I, I, I actually went to one semester of community college trying to kind of find my path. Yeah. I decided like, this is the way to do it. At the same time, I was working for my dad as a general contractor. And my foreman at the time I was working for my dad was a retired um, reservist senior chief in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And he was a CB. A lot of people don't know what CBs are. CBs are the construction battalions of the Navy. They're actually builders in the Navy. They don't go on ships. They go everywhere by air and they build, wow. they do construction on ground, okay. on, on land. And so he was kind of like uh, another kind of role model for me. And he said, you know, you can go do construction and be in the military. And I, I always had this calling to serve my country. I always wanted to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. be in the military, serve my country. And I never understood how. And first I thought maybe I wanted to be a Marine. And, you know, I've always loved, you know, kind of shooting guns. And I thought, you know, I'll go out and I'll be on the front lines and, you know, mm-hmm. that type of thing. And, uh, you know, Dave, his name was, was like, you know, you can do construction and serve in the Navy. And I said, how do I do that? So... I actually went into uh, what they call a delayed entry program, which is kind of pick a specialty and you start kind of training with the, the Navy guys and doing PT and running with them and stuff like that. And uh, they kind of, they kind of snuck me in, into uh, MEPS, which is the uh, military processing center. Before okay. I knew it, they had sworn me in, right? Like I'm standing there with my <laughs> right hand up yeah. and they were like, let's go in this other room. And they sat me down at the conference table and it was like this, this, uh, you know, like uh, wear you out kind of situation where I was sitting mm-hmm. there for so many hours and they're like, look, kid, let's just pick a rate or a specialty. Let's pick a, you know, pick a rate. What do you, what do you want to do? And before I known it, they had, they would like talk me into being a helicopter mechanic. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I, I came home that night next day and I was like, I'm a helicopter mechanic. And Dave was like, absolutely not. You're, you're, you're not, you're, you know, you're going to be a CB. You went in there and told him you're going to be a CB. Long story short, without getting into a lot of detail, like probably get me in trouble. I got into like a little bit of a, of a pissing match with my recruiter and uh, I told him I'm not, I'm not showing up and we're going we're gonna to call the police on you, this whole thing. Anyway, yeah. they ended up, they ended up going back and, and getting me the rate that I wanted to. I ended up going in as a CB. Uh, I wanted to be an equipment operator, but I ended up becoming a builder. And, yeah. uh, you know, long story short, I ended up getting what I wanted, but it was, it's an, it was an amazing career. I spent six years doing what I love, doing construction, uh, mm-hmm. you know, traveling around the world. Ended up serving two presidents at Camp David. I, I had an amazing career. I just, I'm so grateful for the people. Very cool. The things I got to do and, you know, and uh, just had a great career. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And and congratulations. I I also am a community college dropout myself. I think I lasted maybe a <laughs> semester too. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I know the feeling there. But uh, so, so what happened next? You you got out of the being a CV and and what was your next move? What uh, would you, would you jump yeah. into? At first, I jumped into uh, being a uh, construction project manager down in uh, Washington, D.C. for a couple of years. Had a great job down there doing it for the government and uh, probably probably would have spent a better part of my career down there, except I, I met my wife who's from New Jersey. And I always joke that her umbilical cord has never been cut. So <laughs> she comes down to live with me in, in, in D.C. and we would spend every single weekend driving back to New Jersey to visit her uh-huh. parents and her horses at the time. 
And so uh, that lasted about six months. And I, I ended up back in New Jersey. I ended up getting uh, you know, pulled back into a state that I never thought I'd live in again. But it was always, it was for the best because we ended up back here and you know, almost immediately I got into flipping real estate. I got into uh, starting my own business and you know, fast forward 15 years and uh, doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And, and so were you flipping like single family homes and, and all of that? Was that kind of the, the primary focus? Yeah. Yeah. We started out flipping single families for about uh, the first 12 years. We flipped nothing but single families. I, I, I did just about everything you can do in real estate, uh, single family world and brokerage. I, I owned a brokerage. I did BPOs. I did uh, single family rentals. I did apartment complexes, office, retail, and then about three years ago, we did a major pivot. We went into self-storage development and mm-hmm. uh, kind of never looked back. Now, I still, we still have a lot of single families. We still have that portfolio. We're kind of, you know, liquidating a little bit at a time, but uh, now we're all in self-storage development. Yeah, that's, so you actually amazing. develop it then too. Yeah, we build it from mostly ground up. We do some re, re, uh, restructure of like um, darkened Kmarts and Sears, like some mm-hmm. big box stuff, but uh, mostly it's, uh, it's ground up development work. Very cool. Very cool. So how do you go about establishing, you know, this is the, this is a great place, or this is a, a good piece of land to be able to buy and, and put a, store, a storage unit on there? Is there a process to, to determine that? Like how many people are around there or how many, yeah. how many competitors are around there? I'll tell you a funny story, Matt. So when I, when I first got into this, one of my mentors in the business, I flew out to Colorado and this is a, this is a guy who's built, who's built over 300 self-storage facilities. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, Joe, you could take a map of the United States and throw a dart at it and successfully build a self-storage right there. Okay. Right? Okay. That's the industry right now that we're in. It's amazing. Right. But that doesn't mean you want to, that doesn't mean yeah. you should, or you want to, or any of that kind of good stuff. Right. So, so our idea behind it is like, like, okay, yeah, yeah you could do that, but you, you don't, you don't, you don't want to do that. Right. So let's, let's try to find the best 10% of areas in the country mm-hmm. to build that. So, so what we're looking for is we're looking for expanding MSAs. I'm looking for places that have multiple different great industries in them. I'm looking for places that are growing demographics. You know, we're trying to find places that are obviously densely populated, income levels that are that are north of $50,000, $60,000 on average. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it goes into feasibility of what's what's the saturation in the area as far yeah. as, um, you know, what, what are the competitors in the area and, and what do they look like and what do they offer and you know, all that kind of good stuff. And, you know, it, it gets fairly detailed when you start to boil it down. But the interesting thing about the industry is, you know, you, you're not just this industry, obviously, you know, if you're going to build a mall or you're going to build a, mm-hmm. you know, uh, an apartment complex or anything like that, a commercial is so much different than single family. Yeah. You, you're not speculating, you're getting 25 different opinions of, is this a good place to put facility? And, you know, you're getting all these different people saying, yeah, thumbs up. Good job. Let's go. This is a good yeah. place to do it. It's not just one per. It's not like Joe decides, let's go build a $20 million facility. And then right. you know, I go raise right. the capital and do it. No, I mean, it's, it's literally you know, 12, 14, 15, 20 different people saying, yes, I- I've looked at this. I've looked at the area, I've looked at the demographics, and this is a good spot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes, yeah, that makes perfect sense. What's the largest complex that you've, that you've built so far? Would you say so? So we only build Class A facilities, and that means they're going to be uh, north of eighty thousand square feet. Average oh, wow. site is usually a hundred thousand square foot, and that's net rentable square foot. So you know that might be one hundred fifteen thousand, and we could rent one hundred thousand. Uh huh. Wow, wow. So, and and do these 
facilities have like so so we invest in in large multifamily so similar but different obviously are there are there amenities that that you know you package into these at all and i, I i'm just asking because i don't yeah. know that business whatsoever but is there yeah. is there like you know like a coffee bar or something like that or is that like included in class a or is that is that uh, not what class a you know is uh-huh. Here's what I love about the uh, self-storage industry, right? It, it's it's concrete, steel, asphalt, right? Mm-hmm. We're building metal boxes. Like I always tell people, there's nothing sexy about it, right? Yeah. Like you guys have a class A apartment facility. You might have, you know, a swimming pool or a playground or a sauna or a, I don't even know, hot tub or whatever, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking class A means that it's a, it's a secure facility. It's It probably offers climate, most likely it offers climate control. Mm-hmm. It might have certain types of accessibility. It's obviously got elevator service. Like it's, you know, it's a nice structure. It's, it's generally well lit and then it's got, security cameras and things like that. It's a place that you, it's not, it's not down an industrial road and, yeah. and it makes you feel safe when you pull into it. And it's big enough to be considered class A, right? Like it's not a, it's not a 20,000 square foot site and it's new, you know, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's clean, but no, it's there, you know, aside from some, the fact that some sites now that we're developing, it's interesting, it, it, you know, kind of as a side note, the industry is making a big shift, right? People want self-storage to be more in a commercial district. They want it more downtown. They want it off of Main Street. I kind of mentioned like a lot of places used to be like industrial parks and like off of the beaten path and down the dirt road. People want it more accessible nowadays. And that's Mm -hmm. why you're starting to see self-storage start to take over where dark and big box were, you know, where your old Sears was. Well, Sears was on Main Street, right? Sears wasn't down the dirt road. So when you convert that to a self-storage, now all of a sudden it's accessible and it's right off the, you know, the highway. And so, that becomes, uh, you know, a highly accessible site, and it's it's very safe and secure, and people are, you know, they'd rather access it right there. That's a change that's happening, and so what's happening now is, in order to kind of give and take with the zoning boards and the zoning offices, a lot of times to get approval to go in those areas, we're also mixing in some retail. So you're seeing okay. a lot of self storage is where they're getting like storefront, 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 self storage behind it. Um, yep. So to kind of to kind of answer the question you're saying, like your your answer is like. Is it class A if it has amenity? Well, amenity might be there's some storefronts attached to it, but that doesn't really you know, yeah, pertain to the yeah. self-storage itself. No, that makes sense. And, th- and that's interesting. I'd never, I'd never really considered that at all. I mean, I, when, when you were describing all of that, I'm you know, picturing here's an old mall and you know, wipe that all out. And then you know, now there's a self-storage yeah. there. But that, that makes perfect sense, you know, building in you know, more retail spaces into that. How did the self-storage industry fare through you know, what we just went through with with you know, the COVID and, you know, pandemic and all of that, is that, was it pretty well, you know, pandemic proof, I guess? 2021 was the best year in recorded history for self-storage. Wow. Wow. Like they said something like, and this is the stat that I'm quoting is from like October, $9 billion in self-storage changed hands up until October. There were these lowest amount of vacancy rates ever recorded and the highest amount of per square foot rental rates ever recorded. And that's from the top like four REITs. That was like a Marcus yeah. Millichap study was reported. The interesting thing about self-storage and the 40 years of like recorded history. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you 
who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. Is that it's a steady raise. Like when you look at it, it's, it's, it's market uh, almost unaffected. I don't recall mm-hmm. bulletproof. I hate to use that word, but you know, the thing about the, the interesting thing about self storage is that the clients are so diverse. You know, you have mom and pop downsizing, you have contractors, you have people storing files, you have, yeah. you know, uh, stores storing overflow of goods, you have contractors, like you have all these different people. So what happens is when the market, you know, uh, in, in a bull market, you have all these people storing goods. And then in a bear market, you have the contractors start to disappear, but you have people downsizing mm-hmm. and their household goods go up. So there's always a use for it, mm-hmm. right? So th- therefore, you know, just across the board, you know, you generally have 90 plus 95% occupancy in every single market. Yeah. And, and that's what's crazy about self-storage. You can't say that about a lot. You certainly can't say it about office. You certainly can't say it about retail. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe you can say that in some cases in apartments and in certain markets, but self-storage is is one of those really weird industries and it's weird in a good way. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So so if I wanted to get involved in self-storage, what would be the the way to to start down that path? Like I I want to go down the exact same path where you you went, you know, I want to build it and you own it. What what would be some advice that you would give someone in that situation? Yeah. I mean, my advice would be get involved with someone who's doing it unless you have, you know, we had decades of construction development experience. I mean, I jumped in two feet, you know, because I was super confident of our abilities and our team and the people we had surrounding us. If you have development experience, go for it. You know, if you think you're capable, go for it. If you're, if you're, you're not, there's so many other ways, right? If you're an accredited investor, there's syndicated deals you can get involved in. You're somebody who is capable of finding deals. I mean, we've trained multiple people. We call, we actually train what we call certified field uh, um, agents, right? Certified field agents, it's kind of like a glorified bird dog. We've, we've trained people how to find deals for us mm-hmm. um, that just in the last 12 months, we've had three people um, get paid, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in, in cash plus equity to go locate deals for us, right? Mm-hmm. So, and these are people that were like, uh, you know, like uh, part-time bankers and, uh, you know, uh, one guy was an engineer, one guy was a banker. I'm trying to think, the third guy was actually a commercial broker got paid to find us a deal. Yeah, you know, so you can get paid to, to find deals. You can get paid to joint venture deals. You can get paid to um, be part of them in, in a lot of in a myriad of different ways. But you know, if you have development experience, go for it. I think it's an easy. I don't want to say it's easy. Nothing's easy, right? But I yeah, think it's yeah. a. If you're in multifamily, for example, it's definitely a transition that can be. You know, it's something that uh, I think a lot of people overlook. Again, I always say it's 
it's overlooked because it's not sexy, right? Mm -hmm. But the numbers are really sexy, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're building something where you can build it at, at probably 60% or less of what it costs you to build a multifamily. And yeah, oh, sure. The income is crazy similar. Yeah. Like that's incredible. That's incredible. And, and are you building this all, you know, all over the country as well? Are you, you know, focused? Would you, would you advise focusing in on a specific area or do you pretty well go anywhere, wherever there's land or the opportunity? Yeah. So us personally, I mean, we're right now we're in uh, six different States, but anywhere from, we're like from Texas all the way to the Atlantic ocean, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that we're not open to opportunities right now. It's just a matter of how far I want to, I want to go take a plane ride. Yeah. Um, there, yeah. there are opportunities all over. I mean, we're already looking at deals in, in Colorado and Utah and some in California. It's yeah. just a matter of how far I want to fly. I mean, th there are opportunities all over the country and, and there are certainly smart people, smart developers that are looking in all, in all areas. You know, again, there's, there's opportunities to wholesale land. There's, you know, there's just so many different plays to get involved in this industry right now. Uh, yeah. It's just yeah. A, it's a really crazy time. Yeah, that's that. that I, I was curious, and I mean, that's what I was expecting. But like in in multifamily, you know, you you want to know the areas, and you 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 understand, you know, the different demographics in the areas. Which, you know, obviously you went over all of those things. But you know, I I guess the other thing is too, you know, the management teams aren't nearly as involved in storage units as what they are in multifamily as well. So, like us, you know, we're we're looking to build that out and. You know, we want to try to you know keep kind of a core core you know core business, if you will, where we can kind of keep adding out from there. Which yeah. I guess you know with you guys, it's you know you can drop one in here and then you know go a thousand miles away and drop one over there if you want. So yeah, that yeah I like that. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I look at us as a pure developer. One of the reasons we build these larger facilities is we're working with the bigger management teams like CubeSmart, Extra Space, and Life Storage, and so. These guys are all nationwide and and we're actually using them to help us decide what's a good site before we uh, ever put it under contract so they're going to yeah. tell us like hey we have 15 sites within a 10 15 mile radius and this one's performing well and this one ramped up in nine months and this one you know so they can tell us saturation levels and they can tell how quick a ramp up is going to take and you know they're basically uh, giving us their opinion of a site before we ever you know put it under contract or ever yeah. do due diligence which is super helpful because i don't want to be in the management business yeah, exactly. And, and that, that's one of the, uh, the groups that you were talking about earlier that, you know, gave the, the, the checkoff on that, that particular site. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. I love that. Yeah. You, you also have uh, legacy builder, correct? T talk a little bit about that. What, what, what do you guys do there? So legacy builder executive. Co so, so legacy developers is actually our development team that does the self-storage and then legacy okay. builder executive coaching really has two wings. We have the storage syndicate, which is basically a mastermind that teaches people how to develop storage and get involved in a myriad of different ways. Like we said earlier, you know, whether you're an accredited investor, it just wants to kind of learn the industry better and figure out what's a good play to get invested you know, financially, or mm -hmm. you want to be a joint venture operator or you know, learn how to, you know, physically develop your own site from ground up, or you want to learn how to syndicate deals. The coaching side does that. And I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching with, with business owners that really, you know, primarily business owners that want to learn how to diversify into real estate. So mm -hmm. I have a lot of doctors and attorneys and insurance broker clients that, you know, they make a lot of money and they work their butts off and they just don't know how to, you know, find their way into something that makes sense outside yeah. of the real estate, outside of the, um, uh, excuse me, the uh, stock market. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, so talk a little bit about like what 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 is the what is the training look like? You know, is it is it you know Zoom calls, classes? You know, how long does it take to get through it? You know, what what would someone expect to experience if they you know, went through that that process with you? Yeah, inside the storage syndicate, it's uh, it's super interesting. I, I don't know a lot of people that do it this way, but we actually do live calls each week with my executive team members. So mm. it, it, what it is, is it's three calls each week and uh, they, they lock in with my business partner, developer, my, my, my chief executive, uh, my chief operating officer, my acquisitions guy, my chief negotiator, my chief mm-hmm. development officer. So it's people in my team that are day to day doing this, constructing these projects, finding these projects, negotiating the deals, you know, putting together the construction contracts, myself uh, putting together the team. So it's team building. It's, it's, it's just about every compartmental piece that you could think of. Uh, my chief investment officer syndicating the deals and raising the financing and dealing with the accredited investors and that whole process. So, so each, each week they're doing live calls with Q&A and they're dialing into that piece. And then four times a year we do events. Two of those events are, are virtual. Two of those events are in person. So you know, if they don't want to fly out and they don't want to you know, tap into us live, they can you know, just as easily get the recordings or you know, do it virtually. And that's all inclusive as of part of the mastermind. So uh, it was a small initiation fee and it's a thousand dollars a month to be part of that group. And we actually allow their, their whole executive team to tap into that. So if it's a, you know, if it's a small business, it's the owner and their partners and their executive team all have access to that. So, you know, if they're trying to take a wholesale company, for example, or a real estate fix and flip company, and you want to transition into the storage business, you know, we're basically giving them the whole business in a box so they can learn how to do that and make that transition happen. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. I love that. What are some mistakes that you've seen, or maybe even you've made in the storage business? I mean, is it, you know, choosing the wrong land or, I mean, is there something else that, that can go wrong uh, in that process? Yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't say mistake. I think this, that's what due diligence is for, you know, mistakes, not necessarily, I mean, I definitely lost money in due diligence. I think the problem I wouldn't say necessarily a problem, but an issue that arises is that you're going to do due diligence and it's a risk. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a myriad of deals. I tell people for every deal that I bring an accredited investor that I, that I bring to our team, mm-hmm. we probably say no to 30 to 50 deals, right? And out of those 30 to 50 deals, we may have started to invest design and due diligence into 10 of those deals, for example, right? So, yeah. you know, we have feasibility studies started. We have, you know, maybe phase one, we have environmental, we have surveys before we find out that, you know, hey, there was an underground tank or, you know, there was, used to be a gas station on this property or, mm-hmm. you know, God knows what. I had a deal about two or three months ago and, and we thought we were going to closing. What an amazing property. And it turned out to be underground contaminants that, uh, you know, was a site that had been there for a long, long time. And I mean, it was a super clean site. It was a reconditioned uh, 80,000 square foot warehouse that had a a lease in place for a long, long time. And it was immaculate. And it turned out that we, they think after uh, phase two, that they were pouring contaminants down the, down the drain. Oh my God. Wow. um, You know, we had to walk away from it and we had probably 60, 70 grand invested in that deal. And you know, you're not yeah. going to get that money back. So yeah. there's risk to doing this. The reality of it is that this, it's cost of doing business. I think that people don't think about that kind of stuff, but you know, the reality of it is it's, it's the cost of doing business. It's not like you're going to get into this thing and do it for free, but you also, you know, you're going to make a lot of money when you do it right, and find mm-hmm. the right deals and put one foot in front of the other and you keep going, you know, so 
you know, there's, there's, there's upside to the downside. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say that there's a lot of mistakes that have been made. I think that, I think we're learning every single day. I tell people all the time, like construction, they're like, what's the risk? Well, you know, we're problem solvers. That's mm -hmm. all. Like if you're, if you're a problem solver, you mitigate risk. You know, yeah. if you hide from problems, there's going to be all kinds of risk all, all day, every day. My team, that's all we do is solve problems. That's all we do. You know, every single day there's, there's weather conditions, there's material delays, there's challenges, mm -hmm. there's labor problems. Like you gotta, you gotta solve problems. And so yeah. the, the more you solve problems, the less the, the risk is, uh, constantly in your face. Yeah. I, I'm curious when you go through and, you know, buy the material, is there like self-storage packages that someone's already pre-making or is it, you know, you're buying all of the, you know, all of the I-beams and you're, you know, putting up, you know, the, the raw structure and then kind of, you know, building or, or framing in from there. I'm just curious if, if it's, okay. it's kind of like a, you know, buying, a, buying, you know, a standard box full of materials, or do you go through the whole design build process and you know, actually, you know, design that specific unit around or in that, that, that lot for that parcel? Yeah. It, it's kind of a little of each. It's like a, it's like a blend. And so I, I'll explain it this way. We, we, we design exactly what we want. Mm -hmm. Our architectural team will, will literally build the blueprint of what we want. And then our box builder, basically the guy who does all the metal work, Mm -hmm. will almost prefab off site the metal that he needs. And then he delivers exactly like, almost like a, like Lincoln logs. Yeah. Like it comes, yeah, yeah. it comes cut and ready, but it's, but it's a, um, it's a pre-designed building. It's not like a, a Butler building or like a, um, you know, a barn or something like that. It's, it's, it's made to order for our, for mm -hmm. our site. If that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, that does. That does. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's what I was getting at. I wasn't sure if there was, you know, if it was more of a, you know, a prefab type type, situation where again they're cutting it no, all because and... the the best way to maximize for every site is really to to put the footprint of what you need um, yeah you know for that site and so we're always trying to value engineer like what's the what's the best use for what the area can demand and what the mm -hmm. site can can accommodate same, if that makes sense. So, you know, it's never like the site is a hundred thousand. It's like, it might be 105,000 square foot because that's the unit mix that the site can carry. And based on the turning radiuses and everything else that we can put on that site. So, you know, that being said, the buildings are never, you know, an exact, you know, hundred by hundred or whatever. They're always mm -hmm. some, some weird shape. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned before some of the things that are put in a typical, you know, self-storage, you know, files and contractor needs and all of that. Are you guys also like storing boats and RVs and all that kind of stuff at some of the, the facilities as well? Is that, is that, you know, a, a growing thing that you're, you know, that you're definitely seeing a lot of people getting more, more vehicles, more toys, and, you know, they need a place to be able to put them? Toys is a, uh, is a huge influx. We're starting to see uh, in a lot of our sites, in fact, the one that we just did uh, the full design on in San Antonio, Texas, um, a lot of, we have a lot of Texas sites in the pipeline right now, and a lot of them are getting the same thing. We're calling, uh, we call it XXL, which is like a, don't quote me on this, whoever's listening, but I think, I think they're 20 by 45 or something. They're just they're huge. They're just mm -hmm. a huge garage bay. And essentially it's made for an RV to pull into. I mean, the, the RV uh, world is just gone nuts. I mean, as, as you, as you know, yeah. And so like toy bays are just, you know, they're in huge demand right now. And so a lot of our sites were actually accommodating these, these excess size bays, and we're charging a crazy premium for them because people mm -hmm. want to be able to, you know, pull in, plug in, have a heated bay, be able to put their toy in there and then know that like, I don't have to, they don't, they don't have to unload it 
you know, yeah. you know, it's all their stuff is in there. If they want to go for a trip, they just literally roll up the garage door and pull out. So yeah, there's definitely a, a, a very large demand for those. And, and especially in certain areas, the one in New York, we're doing the same thing with there's, there's, uh, there's definitely that happening more and more. And uh, in certain areas, we're actually catering uh, entire sites to that. We're actually looking at potentially spinning entire sites over to uh, that type of uh, yeah. that type of unit. Yeah, interesting, interesting. What about, I mean, you've touched on it a couple of times before, you know, accredited investors, if they wanted to get involved, you know, in, in one of your projects, what would be the best way for them? You know, obviously you've got the, the person who wants to be involved, the, the owner operator, if you will, what about the investor? Is there is there training or or material available for them to to realize you know what their potential returns could be on an opportunity? Yeah, we're uh, we're we're not really good at this, but uh, they go to investwithlegacy.com. When I say we're not very good at this, we don't generally update the site fast enough because yeah. uh, when we when we put um, our our new release uh, investment packages out to our existing investors. And a lot of times they get gobbled up before we have to put them back on our website. But yeah. anytime anybody wants to get uh, involved in those sites, they can go to that website and they can just put in a request for information. I'll, I'll actually reach out to them personally and have a conversation about upcoming deals that are in the pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. And typically how long does that process take from you know, identification and assuming that that one passes all of the phase ones and all of that, how long does it, the process typically take from, you know, again, identification to, you know, final funding and then final build or, or you know, occupancy yeah. permit, I guess? Yeah, it really depends, uh, Matt, on whether or not they require variance or approval to get full entitlement. So you got to realize probably 80% of the stuff we're purchasing is completely off market. And mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff isn't even approved for self-storage. It's kind of like our secret sauce is that we're we're not afraid to take something down that requires uh, rezoning or approval or self-storage because that a lot of times that's the stuff where we increase value big time because we're, yeah. we're moving into a market or an area or a zone that's not already self-storage. And that's what's actually creating the, the ability for us to make a, a, a better valuable piece because it's in a downtown area or it's somewhere that's different than where self-storage typically would go. That being said, uh, you know, if it's one of those types of places, uh, you know, we're doing one in Florida right now, which we put on a contract, I think in probably October or September. And uh, we just got word uh, this morning that uh, the hearing is going to be in April, for example. So oh, wow. you're probably talking nine months from yeah. concept to uh, closing. But if it's an approved site, it could be as it could be as quick as ninety days to one hundred and twenty days from concept to closing. Mm -hmm. So it really varies. Generally, once we close a site, I always tell investors if it's a piece of raw land, you know, expect four to six months from closing to actually putting a shovel in the ground. Because, you know, even with approval and the fact that we have an entitled piece of ground and it's ready to go, you know, we're still getting you know we're we're, we're at like ninety to ninety five percent design at that point. That means that we. we you know, we're 95% sure what we're going to build, but we might move a wall. We might retweak yeah. the interior design. Then you have to get the mechanical guys to decide where the ductwork is going to go and all this kind of like little jazz inside. Yeah. And quite frankly, it's, it's pretty boring for that next four months. You know, the, the design guys are playing around with where the stuff's going to go and everything. So, so you take the deal down, you have the land. Now you have all those approvals. Now you're submitting all the drawings to the township. Keep in mind at that point, it's approved. You're building a mm -hmm. self-storage, but now you have to get the township to like sign off on everything and yeah. check yeah. back and the engineer gives the back and forth. And so there's all this stuff that happens after closing and it can't happen until after closing. Yeah. 
And that generally takes four or five months before we can even get, then you have to get all that approved so that you can go to bid and get the general mm -hmm. contractor to give you the bid back. So all that paperwork and stuff generally takes between four and five months, but you know, then we have shovels in the ground and we're rocking. Yeah, cool. Very cool. I'm assuming that you probably have run into situations too, where you you found a piece of land it, it and maybe it didn't get past that. Well, it, it made it, let's say, let's say it makes it past all the phase ones and all of the regular inspections, but the city uh, won't give you zoning for, for, uh, or, um, for storage units. Has that ever happened where the city has basically said, no, you can't build that, you know, in that location? Yeah. And do they backyard. give any kind of reason why they wouldn't let that? I mean, is there a common reason why they don't want that there? In my experience, and this has happened multiple times in my lifetime, and not just for storage, it's happened to me for housing, it's happened for multiple crop. In my experience, and a lot of developers, I'm sure will tell you the same thing. When that happens, it's because the neighbors complain, mm -hmm. right? The neighbors have a, have, a, have a bug in there for whatever reason. And, you know, a lot of times it's not because they don't want necessarily storage, it's because they don't want anything. You know, I, I just had a, I had a um, zoning hearing get denied uh, about a year ago in our own backyard uh, down the street from our office, we were trying to convert an old beat up, I mean, dilapidated warehouse and put a brand new self storage up there. And, you know, there was a couple houses nearby. And by the way, in, in a commercial district, I mean, zoned approved, I mean, almost, almost a buy right. It really was yeah. a buy right development, but it was in an overlay where it was in a historic district, which required wow. the zoning office to give it approval. So, yeah. you know, not that it needed a variance or any of that kind of stuff. It just required a hearing. Well, during the hearing, the two or three houses that were in this commercial district, which, you know, yeah, all intents right. and purposes really didn't even belong there. They made a big stink out of how this new development was going to, you know, shed water onto their property, which is completely ridiculous because we would have need underground water retain retainage anyway. Anyway, we got shot down because they, 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 pissed and moaned that we were building a new uh, wow. storage facility there. So yeah, it happens. And, uh, you know, unfortunately at that level, you got a, quite a bit of dollars invested in design yeah. and attorney's fees and everything else. And then you get, you get a, uh, a resident who isn't happy with it and it gets shot down. So, yeah. you know, again, it's, it's, it's nature. It's par, it's par for the course. And, yeah. you know, I think anybody who wants to get into this game has to realize that those are the costs of doing business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I love that. Happens. Wait, so, so, if someone wanted to learn more on any of this, I mean, you, you mentioned that, you know, the, the investors could reach out to you. What would be the best way to reach out and get in touch with you if they're, again, a, a person looking to be the owner operator or an investor, any best ways to be able to, to get in touch? Yeah, listen, I think if, they, if they're interested in being a, an investor with us, they can go to uh, investwithlegacy.com. If they're interested in the storage syndicate and they want to get involved in the mastermind and learn more about actually developing or becoming, you know, a joint venture partner or anything like that, they can go to legacybuilder.coach, which is our coaching wing and our, and our mastermind group side. Excellent. Joe, this is fantastic. Uh, we, we, we've kicked around doing self-storage for many, many years. And, uh, you know, maybe one of these, one of these times we'll actually uh, jump into it. And I love, I love that you're basically giving, giving away the secret sauce there so that, we don't have to go and uh, you know bang our head against the walls and learn as we go. So, so that's fantastic. So many, many thanks. And uh, I look forward to potentially connecting with you again in the future. Absolutely, brother. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.